Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, and the red-headed Slytherin siren to my left is Katie. You seriously need to stop drinking before we record. I only had one. One bottle? I am not going to dignify that with an answer. Moving on to the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the first half of Chapter 12, the Triwizard Tournament, and the corresponding film scenes. The students discover that their train ride to school seems to actually be the least ostentatious mode of transport for students in the wizarding world. Peeves created an indoor slip-and-slide that turned into a real pain in the ass. Dennis Creedy fell into an excellent first memory at Hogwarts. Ron favored food over new housemates. The Sorting Hat unveiled the fruits of its year-long shelf retreat. Hermione was sickened to learn about her witch privilege. Filch, Jane fonded his way through the Great Hall. And Dumbledore decided against a stand-up comedy career. During episode 75, CSI Hogwarts, our Potter pondering was, what did happen when the troll, the hag, and the leprechaun walked into the bar? Dave said, a troll, a hag, and a leprechaun walk into a bar. They sit at a table, and after a few minutes, the hag drunkenly stumbles to the bar and tells the bartender, I bet you a hundred galleons that if you line up ten shot glasses a foot apart on the bar, I can walk down the bar and pee in every glass without spilling one drop on the bar. The bartender was disgusted, but he saw this hag was clearly very drunk. So he replied, I normally don't pay no mind to what drunk old hags say, but I'm not one to ever turn down free money. There is no way you can do that. I'll take that bet. The bartender sets up the glasses and the hag jumps up on the bar, lifts her skirt, and waddles down the length of the bar while peeing. She stumbles with every step, stepping on some of the glasses, and almost falling off the bar multiple times. All the while, the pee goes everywhere. On the bar, on the stools, on the floor. Some even hit the bartender, who is roaring with laughter as barely a drop lands in any of the glasses. I told you you would never be able to do that, you old hag, he roars between his guffaws. Now pay up, that's a hundred galleons, holding his hand out expectantly. The hag stands up, straightens her skirt and cloak, jumps down off the bar nimbly as a fairy and sober as can be, laughed a great big laugh and says, gladly, and starts skipping towards her friends. The bartender asks, why are you so happy? You just lost a hundred galleons. The hag turns to him and said, I just bet each of these two morons 500 galleons that I could piss all over your bar and you'd be happy and laugh about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was interesting. To say the least. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Max said, the bartender says, sorry, we don't serve supernaturals here. The troll and the hag turn to leave, but the leprechaun stays put. The bartender asks, didn't you hear me? No supernaturals. The leprechaun looks up and says, I'm not a leprechaun. I'm Charlie fucking Weasley, and this is why you can't see me in the films. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Diana said, the bartender says they look like they've had a long day and asks what they're drinking. The troll says it's been a long day plowing fields and asks for a large butterbeer. The leprechaun agrees that it's been a long day plowing fields and asks for a butterbeer as well. When the bartender turns to the hag, who is looking particularly rough even for a hag, and asks her if she's all right, she looks at the bartender and says, I'm Fields. Give me a large fire whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) That one might be my favorite. I'm not even going to lie. I think Diana gets the gold star for that one. Oh, Diana, we love you so much. And we owe you a happy birthday message because... It was like last week. It was a while back. We kind of suck. And we actually did record it, but due to my computer breaking, it didn't make it in the episode. So we want to shout out Diana right now. Happy birthday. We love you. Happy birthday. Sorry it's belated. We love you so much. Mwah. 
Yes, yes. Quincy, Carly, and Dave all had a similar punchline. Quincy said, a troll, a hag, and a leprechaun walk into a bar. Ouch. Carly commented that he stole her joke, and Dave added on that the villa behind them ducked. (laughs) Gotta love a classic. Right? Jackson said that the credit for this goes to a poster on Reddit. A troll, a hag, and a leprechaun all walk into a bar, and none of them has so much as a nut between them to buy a drink. I bet I can get a drink in spite of not having a coin to me name, the leprechaun says. Promptly, he walks into the bar, produces a cauldron full of fake gold. Barkeep, he yelled wildly, give me a flagon of your finest mead. What sort of fool do you take me for, shrieks the barkeeper. I know that'll disappear by morning. Be off with you before I have you brought up on charges of fraud. The leprechaun went dejectedly back outside again. Now you'll see how it's done, dearies, the hag cackled, before charming herself to look like a gorgeous young witch. Into the bar she walked, batting her eyes alluringly at the barkeep, and simpering sweetly. He did indeed seem quite taken with her. That was until... Might I have a bottle of your best fire whiskey, lovey, she said. But the voice was not the piping soprano of a young girl, but the loud croak of the hag that she was. Get out, you old prune, the barkeep yelled, cottoning onto her trick, and also possibly because his wife is giving him dagger looks from across the room. Well, none of us is getting a drink tonight, said the hag with a shrug, the leprechaun nodding in agreement, but the troll pointed to himself, then at the bar, and grunted. You really think your stupid self is getting a drink when we planned out everything so pat and got nothing? The leprechaun laughed, this I have to see. The troll walked into the bar and murmured quietly while pointing to the ale. When the barkeeper shook his head, the troll took out his club, knocked him unconscious with one blow, and walked back out the door with a cask of his best ale. This only goes to show, the best strategy is to speak softly and carry a big stick. (laughs) Robert says the credit goes to MuggleNet for this one. A leprechaun, a troll, and a hag all went into a bar. Benny, said the bartender to the leprechaun, I warned you three not to come back here after the last time. Took me weeks to clean up after all the mischief you caused. Oh, but it's Floss's birthday, said Benny, pointing to the hag. She smiled and showed off her one good tooth. (laughs) Give us a quick pint and let Troll and me sing to her. Then we'll be on our way. Cross me heart and hope to die. The bartender was a soft-hearted and rather soft-headed man. And so he did as Benny asked. No sooner had they finished their drinks when a fight broke out over who should be allowed to give Floss a birthday kiss. The troll and the leprechaun wrestled like they were caught in devil's snare and broke a remarkable amount of glassware. The bartender tried every spell he knew to stop them, but nothing worked. Truth to tell, he was not a very good wizard. Meanwhile, Floss the hag stood by grinning and looked quite pleased with the celebration in her honor. After a lengthy brawl, the troll had the advantage. He towered over the quaking leprechaun, ready to smash an enormous beer barrel over the poor fellow's head. Oh, for pity's sake, said Floss, who was also an accomplished witch. Aloha Mora! With a wave of her wand, Floss opened the sealed barrel, dumping a lovely golden brew over the troll, and quite possibly saving the leprechaun's life. Floss! cried the leprechaun. Let me thank ye with a wee kiss! But the hag shook her tangled tresses of hair and refused him. You see, I'm the one she likes, shouted Troll. He somersaulted to his lady love and tried to gather her in his great arms. But in a blink of a cyclops eye, the hag disapparated and her companions fled. Once again, the bartender was left with a dreadful mess to clean up. His wife, who had witnessed the whole affair, heaved a sigh and began to mop up the ale. Well, my dear, she said. At least we've learned two important lessons. What's that? said her grumpy husband. He was in no mood for philosophical musing. Obviously, the wise and alarmingly cheerful woman continued, a Benny saved is a Benny spurned, and a rolling troll gathers no floss. (laughs) I made you read the punny one. You suck. But Robert says his personal favorite is... A troll, a hag, and a leprechaun all go into the bar, and the bartender asks, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) A troll, a hag, and a leprechaun all go into a bar, and the bartender asks, What'll it be today, Umbridge? 
<laughs> that one's hilarious. That was a good one. These are all great. My love to Diana, but that might... <laughs> the simplicity of that one is pretty beautiful. So thanks for that one, Robert. Appreciate it. Our trivia question last week was, what did George say was the password to get into Gryffindor Tower? The password was Balderdash. A prefect downstairs told him. Congratulations goes to Mike Riley, who was once again the first to answer correctly, even though Max initially posted it as just keep rolling again and had to delete it and repost it as himself. Yeah, Mike beat him regardless, but I think we're going to have to revoke his admin status to help fix his confusion. (laughs) Mike is not a big fan of that idea since it could take away his only advantage. I don't know about that. I mean, it seems like he can hold his own, really. He's up to a four-week streak now. Halfway to Max and Quincy's record. I think he can do it, personally. I do, too. But we shall see. Yep. For now, let's just keep rolling into the second half of Chapter 12, the Triwizard Tournament, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 12, the Triwizard Tournament, Part 2. Dumbledore gives a brief explanation on the history of the Triwizard Tournament which started 700 years ago between the three largest European wizardry schools, Hogwarts, Beaubatons, and Durmstrang. Each school provided a champion that competes in three magical tasks. The schools took turns hosting it every five years until the death toll mounted so high it was discontinued. Despite several attempts over the years to reinstate the tournament, they were not successful until now, as they worked very hard all summer to ensure that no champion will find themselves in mortal danger. He tells them that the heads of Bobaton and Durmstrang will arrive with their contenders in October, and the selection of champions will take place on Halloween by an impartial judge. The winner will receive the Triwizard Cup, glory for their school, and a thousand galleons prize money. This news is greeted with much enthusiasm, with Fred announcing that he's going to go for it. But Dumbledore continues speaking, informing them that there will be an age restriction for safety and only students 17 years or older will be allowed to put their name in. This greatly upsets the twins as Dumbledore finishes off his speech, reminding them to be courteous to their guests when they arrive and supportive of the Hogwarts chosen champion before sending them off to bed. Fred and George insist that it isn't fair and the age limit won't stop them from trying to enter. As they leave the Great Hall, they reckon an aging potion might do it. Harry wonders about the impartial judge, and Hermione reminds them that people have died, though this doesn't seem to concern the twins. Ron asks Harry if he'd want to enter if they can get around the age limit, but expects that they haven't actually learned enough. Neville joins in the conversation, saying he definitely hasn't, but he thinks his grand would want him to try, so he can uphold the family honor. His train of thought is cut off as he gets his leg stuck in the trick step, and Harry and Ron have to pull him out. Ron smacks the visor down on a laughing suit of armor as they continue on their way to the Gryffindor common room. They give the password George learned from a prefect, Balderdash, and Hermione casts a glare at the flames in the fireplace and mutters slave labor. They all head to their dormitories, and Harry, Ron, and Neville enter theirs to find the five four-poster beds and Dean and Seamus already getting into theirs. They get ready for bed themselves, and Ron sleepily says he might go for it if Fred and George figure out how to enter. Harry rolls over and pictures himself as the Hogwarts champion. He had just won the tournament, and Cho's admiring face stands out particularly clearly in the crowd. Harry grins and feels very glad that Ron can't see what he was imagining. The movie picks up right after Dumbledore announces that Hogwarts will be hosting the Triwizard Tournament. As some of the students begin chattering excitedly, Dumbledore goes on to explain that the tournament brings together three schools for a series of magical contests where one student from each school is selected to compete. Dumbledore makes it very clear that if chosen, that student stands alone, and these contests are not for the faint-hearted. He says they will get more into that later, and asks them to join him in welcoming the lovely ladies of the Beaubaton Academy of Magic and their headmistress, Madame Maxime. The double doors open and a group of girls dressed in blue sashay into the great hall and up the middle aisle. They pause a couple of times to sigh and then shimmy forward and gracefully release butterflies from nowhere before prancing off and lining up on either side of the front of the hall. 
The camera cuts to a very large woman regally following the girls down the aisle as Seamus comments on how that is one big woman. In front of her is the star of Bobaton, a beautiful blonde girl who twirls her way up the aisle alongside another girl doing gymnastics. She stops and strikes a pose as the gymnast takes her hand and they both bow to applause. Dumbledore kisses Madame Maxime's hand and returns to stand next to his podium, where he introduces their friends from the north, the proud sons of Durmstrang, and their headmaster, Igor Karkaroff. The music changes to the same intense Bulgarian theme from the start of the World Quidditch Cup, and a group of young men enter dressed in dark brown, some with fur jackets. Each are carrying a staff that they bang on the ground, creating sparks as they grunt and march forward to the beat. They stop in the middle of the aisle and twirl them around before running forward to the front of the Great Hall, with one of the boys performing his own gymnastics. The camera cuts back to the doors as a surly-looking young man clad in brown fur enters the Great Hall. He is closely followed by Mr. Filch and a bearded man in white with a brown fur collar and hat. Ron immediately identifies the grumpy wizard as Victor Crumb as they march up the aisle. A Durmstrang student ends their entrance with a fire-breathing trick that turns into a fiery bird before disappearing. Dumbledore opens up his arms and Igor greets him with a hug. The scene cuts to a foot stepping in a puddle and the camera zooms out to reveal a shadowy man holding a staff in a rainstorm outside the Hogwarts castle. He begins to limp towards the school and the scene cuts back to the Great Hall, where Karkaroff is pouring wine as he and Severus Snape exchange unfriendly looks. The camera pans over the head table, showing Madame Maxime informing Professor Dumbledore that her horses have traveled a long way and will need attending to. Dumbledore assures her that their gamekeeper Hagrid will take good care of them. Madame Maxime then addresses Hagrid directly to let him know that they drink only single malt whiskey. Hagrid is so enchanted by what the large woman is saying that he doesn't even realize it when he sticks his fork into Professor Flitwick's hand. Flitwick sets his goblet down, pounds his fist on the table, and pulls the fork from his hand as he calls Hagrid an idiot. The camera angle changes to a shot in front of the head table where four men have set up a large golden tower. Filch waves them off as Dumbledore approaches it and declares that he would like to make an announcement. He begins speaking about eternal glory awaiting the student who wins the Triwizard Tournament by surviving three extremely dangerous tasks. The Weasley twins think this is wicked, and Dumbledore continues talking to share that the Ministry is imposing a new rule, and introduces the head of the Department of International Magic Cooperation, Mr. Bartinius Crouch. As Mr. Crouch begins to step up, the man from outside in the rainstorm enters the Great Hall from a door behind the head table. His wet hair clings around his face, which is fitted with a magical fake eye. He steps back as lightning strikes, and the enchanted ceiling begins to rain, causing people to scream. Pointing his wand at the ceiling, he casts a spell that causes the rain to dissipate. Ron recognizes the grizzled man as Mad-Eye Moody, and Hermione asks, Alistair Moody, the Auror. Dean Thomas asks what an Auror is, and Ron explains that an Auror is a dark wizard catcher, saying half the cells in Azkaban are filled thanks to him, though he's supposed to be mad these days. Moody limps into the hall, his magical eye scanning the room and zeroing in on Harry. Dumbledore greets his old friend, thanking him for coming, and he criticizes the ceiling before hobbling over to the side of the hall and taking a swig from his flask. Seamus wonders what he's drinking, and Harry says he doesn't think it's pumpkin juice. Moody's magical eye gives a little spin as he settles against the wall, and Mr. Crouch addresses the crowd. He says that after due consideration, the Ministry has decided that no student under the age of 17 will be allowed to enter the tournament. This is met with jeers from the students, particularly Fred and George, who declare the news to be rubbish. Dumbledore steps forward and yells for silence. The hall immediately settles down, and he then points his wand to the golden tower, which magically disintegrates, revealing a large golden goblet that immediately erupts with blue flames. As everyone looks on in awe, Dumbledore explains that the goblet of fire is where people will enter to possibly be chosen for the tournament, by putting their name on a piece of parchment. They must put it in the goblet before that hour Thursday, and if chosen, there is no turning back. He declares that the Triwizard Tournament has officially begun. The camera focuses on the blue flames and zooms in, filling the screen. So we had to divide this book chapter and movie section in half because there was just so much that happened between the two. So much that barely corresponded, too. I mean, it 
runs parallel, but there are some huge changes. Huge changes. Like, huge. Seriously. Last week, we left off right after Dumbledore announced the Triwizard Tournament would be held at Hogwarts. Yep. So this week, we're picking this up with Dumbledore telling everyone about the event. In the book, he explains what the Triwizard Tournament is for those who aren't familiar with it. And I love that he's just like, some of you may already know this, so just like, let your mind wander. (laughs) Yeah. Guys, just go ahead and zone out. It's cool. Come back when you're good. Right? (laughs) We'll ring a bell when we're done. But for us who may not know, let your minds wander if you do. He explains that it's a competition that began over 700 years ago between Hogwarts, Durmstrang, and Beaubatons, the three largest European schools of wizardry. It took place every five years and helped the students form ties with other young witches and wizards of different nationalities. And then it was discontinued because the death toll grew too high. I mean, that sounds like a lot of family fun to me right there. I don't know. It seems like maybe a good reason to discontinue something. Sign my ass up. I'm ready to die. Yep. It's a good day to die. (laughs) Unlike you, Hermione is alarmed by these words. However, all of the other students seem to be ready to sign up. Because they are all whispering excitedly, and even Harry is more interested in the tournaments than the deaths that happened centuries ago. That's because they all have selective hearing. They hear tournament tournament oh my god especially the gryffindors are like holy shit right well that and death can be so abstract that i don't think it always clicks for people Mm -hmm. especially not kids i was saying not to mention you're doing it in a school and like kids always think they're gonna live forever right you're like oh i'm never gonna die i'm never gonna die yeah even if other people have died i'm never gonna die but in this case people have actually fucking died right (laughs) and they should be scared but they are not Especially now the Gryffindors. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore tells them that there's been several unsuccessful attempts to restart the tournament over the years, but the Departments of International Magical Cooperation and Magical Games have spent the summer setting the tournament up to ensure that no champion will be in mortal peril. I wonder how that worked out for them. We'll get there. I mean, there's a whole book about it, so. Yeah. <laughs> He continues telling them that the heads of Bobatons and Durmstrang, along with their selected contenders, will be arriving in October, and the selection of the three champions will take place on Halloween. Well, that's an excellent time to do it, I suppose. However, we're going to do it way earlier in the movie. Right now, bitches! Because <laughs> <laughs> instead of telling them that they will be arriving, they just show the fuck up. Because why not? Dumbledore asks them to join him in welcoming the lovely ladies from Bobatons and their headmistress, Madame Maxime. And the girls of Bobatons flutter into the great hall. They randomly stop to sigh and gaze longingly at nothing while sparkly butterflies erupt from their breasts. And the fuck is going on here? Madame Maxime saunters down the aisle like the den mother of a brothel while Seamus marvels at her size in the rudest way possible. That's one big woman. Oh my god, Seamus, you can't just call women big. (laughs) I mean, he just did. This scene also first introduces us to Fleur, though not by name. She's just the blonde girl who gets the spotlight up the aisle. Next to another girl who we figure is her sister Gabrielle, doing gymnastics. Because all of this makes complete sense, obviously. They both stop at the front of the Great Hall and strike a pose as everyone claps. I mean, clearly, they don't get invited to eat. They were invited to entertain at the end. I mean, that's the best time to show up as a dessert. Anyway, Dumbledore somehow appears out of nowhere. And he escorts Madame Maxime up the aisle and he kisses her hand and returns to the podium that they never actually showed him leaving. So he can introduce their friends from the north. Dun, 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 dun. Dun. <laughs> Do you feel that wave of testosterone coming? Because it's coming. It's intense. It's <laughs> Durmstrang shows up in their brown uniforms looking like roided out Oliver Twist characters. You are all about the Oliver Twist characters in this movie. I mean, t- you tell me what they look like. <laughs> Just saying. We get more of that intense Bulgarian theme as they grunt and bang sticks on the ground in a show of toxic masculinity. Especially since in the book, not only were they not introduced at this point, but also they weren't an all-boys school. 
Girls can study the dark arts and grunt while banging sticks on the ground, too. <laughs> I agree. Wasn't there boys in Bobatons as well? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what the fuck? I dislike that whole premise right there, if yeah. I'm being honest. It's very irritating. Mm-hmm. But as they perform their own masculine gymnastics slash breakdancing, for whatever reason, the attention is drawn back to the door as the headmaster, Igor Karkaroff, enters with none other than grumpy Victor Crumb. <gasps> it's Victor Crumb! Oh my god! <laughs> it's Victor Crumb. <laughs> After a boy breeds a very masculine, fiery bird, because that's what they were going for, I'm assuming, the Durmstrang entrance is complete, and Dumbledore greets Karkaroff with a hug. Because that's Aww. the most masculine thing you can do. Real men hug. They do. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta hug. <laughs> this is also where we have a deleted scene, actually, which is really cringy. It's so, it's cr- so cringy. It's so cringy. It's basically everyone singing the Hogwarts song. And it's so bad. I kind of like that they were originally going to include this. Just since it wasn't included in Sorcerer slash Philosopher's Stone when it actually happened. Mm-hmm. But they still didn't do it the way they had in the book. I just... Uh, it was supposed to be cringy in the book. Yeah. Like they literally had everyone singing it to a different tune. Yeah. This was cringy for an entirely different reason. This was legit cringy and I... Uh, uh, it makes me dry heave a little bit. I can understand why they cut it. I'm so glad they cut it. I will never say that probably ever again. <laughs> In regards to these movies. But I am so glad that they cut this out because it was just terrible. And then they all start waving their arms like there's a kindergarten teacher in front of them doing hand motions to say what they should be fucking doing. And oh, so, so bad. And I mean, it was a little bit entertaining how into it Crab was. Yeah. But (laughs) it also, I don't think Book Crab would have been. No. So I agree. It was just one of those things where like it was another bout of comedy that they were trying to include. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I appreciate its existence since it was supposed to be in the first one. See, I feel like it would have fit better in the first one. And I think it would have as well. But I also really wanted to hear them try and sing it all to the different tunes. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Like if you're going to make it cringy, make it cringy on purpose. Yeah. I do love the look that bobatons and dermstrang share with each other yeah. like the fuck is this we brought gymnasts and fire yeah <laughs> y'all are singing some stupid ass song and waving your hands they were probably trying to get rid of the rack spurts right. <laughs> they were like man thank god we ate on the boat right <laughs> Anyway, while that's all going on, (laughs) outside, a shadowy figure obviously regrets telling his Uber to just drop him off on the corner as he trounces through the rain. Gee, I wonder who this guy is. Right? Hmm. Back in the Great Hall, Karkaroff eye-fucks Snape while pouring his drink. I still don't think he's eye-fucking him. (laughs) How do you not see eye-fucking with that? Like, they're totally eye-fucking. If you say so. I feel like you see eye-fucking everywhere you look. I mean dirty mind she has a dirty dirty mind i'm sorry like let's just keep rolling madame maxime explains how to care for her drunken ass horses hagrid is so mesmerized by the large woman that he stabs flitwick in the hand with a fork because apparently he's done cooking really it must have been his time oh my god fuck off (laughs) wow flitwick becomes quite angry and is a bit of a dick to hagrid for a simple mistake I'm pretty sure there's a rule in place at Hogwarts that says you aren't allowed to fork the other teachers. Wow. Really? hmm Wow. So if Hagrid would have used a spoon, it would have been okay? I would think so. Spooning's pretty innocent. It can lead to forking, though. It can lead to forking. It can, indeed. As long as nobody's doing any knifing, it's probably okay. <laughs> Fingers crossed. The movie goes on to show four random, probably ministry wizards... We assume. Yeah. Sure. Seems reasonable. <laughs> no name wizard number one, two, three, and four. They weren't there in the book, so <laughs> no way to know. <laughs> but they're setting up a large golden tower in front of the head table. Filch dismisses them as Dumbledore approaches it, announcing that he would like to make an announcement. 
He begins speaking about eternal glory awaiting the student who wins the Triwizard Tournament by surviving three extremely dangerous tasks. Gred and Forge say wicked in unison, because that's what they do. Twin, and, twin talk. Yeah, and this way we didn't have to pick a twin, so mm-hmm. it worked out nicely. <laughs> Dumbledore mentions that the Ministry is imposing a new rule and introduces the head of the Department of International Magical Cooperation, Mr. Bartimius Crouch. This does not happen in the book at this point, or really in this way at all, mm. which we'll talk more about later, because Mr. Crouch is not present at this feast. Mm-hmm. It's just Dumbledore letting them know that they will be hosting the tournament and guest wizards. But watching the film this time around, I noticed that they full on introduced Bartimius Crouch at the exact moment that Mad-Eye Moody shows up. And that was some movie brilliance right there. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore is saying Bartimius Crouch as the camera is showing Mad-Eye Moody. What? It's almost like foreshadowing or I know. something. It's crazy. I never picked up on that before. So we're going to talk more about that as we go on. Obviously, we all know who he is, but yeah. we like to pretend like there is some mystery while we're going through this. So. There, there's no mystery. There's no mystery. Except for the things that we discover for the first time, like the fact that they foreshadowed this moment well, for Well, true, us. yes. As the real Mr. Crouch begins to step from behind the table, we get a dramatic entrance from the grisly rainstorm man through a door behind the head table. So this is the moody interruption that we talked about earlier from the book. So this is when the moody interruption we talked about earlier from the book actually happens in the movie. In the book, he enters through the normal doors, Mm -hmm. but it is kind of a similarly dramatic entrance, though the movie does, of course, play that up some. What? movie doesn't play things up. You're just being silly now. Uh, seriously, though, he looks like a wet Irish wolfhound with a lazy eye. Like, <laughs> honestly. And it gets extra dramatic as lightning strikes the enchanted ceiling. People scream as it starts to rain and bitches going crazy. That's pretty dramatic. It is. And obviously we know, because we already talked about it, that the enchanted ceiling was flashing with lightning, but mm-hmm. it wasn't like... A dramatic, loud rain falling on the Great Hall sort of thing. Yeah. Because I don't think that's how the sky actually works in the book. I thought it just reflected the sky outside, not actually physically mimicked it to the point of rain falling indoors. I always thought that it happened because the school itself knew that something was off with Mad-Eye. Like it was reacting to him walking in. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's what I always thought. I mean... I had assumed they were just giving him a dramatic entrance. This could make a good Potter pondering. Mm, Works for me. Yay, I thought of one. (laughs) Go me. (laughs) Moody points his wand at the ceiling and casts a spell to stop the rain. Ron recognizes him as Mad-Eye Moody, and this is where we get a bit of the conversation that happened last chapter in the Weasley kitchen. Hermione asks, Alistair Moody, the aura, and Dean Thomas busts out some glorious one-line wonder magic. Except this time, he's just the one word wonder. Aura? The movie actually gives Ron a chance to explain something, as they have to somehow fit in the information that an Auror is a dark wizard catcher, and half the cells in Azkaban are filled thanks to him. He also mentions that he's supposed to be mad these days. Like his eye. Yeah. It's almost like that goes in with the nickname, too. It's right. crazy. What? So this is all a very watered-down summary of the actual conversation in the book previously. Yeah, no snarky twins, no birds of a feather, no Bill, no Charlie. 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 Ed Sheeran. Oh, yeah, 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 that guy. Okay. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) Moody's magical eye is already in teacher mode as he scans the room and picks out the most troublemaking student. Harry? Spoiler alert, it's Harry. (laughs) (laughs) We get a little line from Dumbledore that lets us know they are old friends and Moody calls the ceiling stupid, implying that it's happened before. And then he hobbles over to the side of the hall and pulls out the fun flask. Because, I mean, that's what I do the second I enter a room full of children. Seamus wonders what he's drinking, and Harry says that he doesn't think it's pumpkin juice. It's what I wish I could do whenever I enter a room full of children. Drink pumpkin juice? Yes. (laughs) This is a bit different from the book as well. Since though he does take a long drink from his flask, we know he also sits at the head table and eats some sausages after sniffing them. Because you got to make sure they're okay. And that's how you do it is by sniffing sausage. I mean, I wouldn't want to put a sausage in my mouth if it didn't smell good. Right? You always want to sniff your sausages. 
Just saying. Good advice. <laughs> Good life advice. <laughs> For many occasions. Yes. In the movie, his magical eye gives a little spin as he settles against the wall and Mr. Crouch addresses the crowd. He announces that the ministry has decided that no student under the age of 17 will be allowed to enter. This news is not taken well. Especially by Gred and Forge, who shout, That's rubbish! That's rubbish! Dumbledore yells for silence, and the hall immediately settles down. Which never works as well in real life, mind you. <laughs> right? Plus, in the book, Dumbledore shares that an impartial judge will select the contestants who will be vying for the Triwizard Cup, glory for their school, and a thousand galleon prize. At every house table, students are either staring intently at Dumbledore or whispering to one another, Fred specifically whispering down the table that he's going to go for it. Yeah, in the movie, there's no money. Because, you know, you should all be just perfectly willing to risk your lives for just a giant cup. Yeah, and glory. And Yeah, sure. Dumbledore begins to speak again, and the hall quiets once more. He doesn't have to yell silent. He just talks, and they shut up. Mm -hmm. Also, not how it works in real life. <laughs> well, you're not Dumbledore. <laughs> That's true. So there's that. But he tells them that the heads of the schools in the Ministry of Magic have decided that only students who are of age, that is to say 17 or older, will be able to put their names in for consideration. So there's a similar reaction. Mm -hmm. Fred and George don't yell out, that's rubbish, but they're not happy. I mean, they might have been thinking it. Probably. We just don't know. Then, instead of yelling for them to be silent, he just speaks over the students who are making noises of outrage at this bit of information and explains that the task the contestants will be facing will be difficult and dangerous and more than likely beyond the ability of the younger students' skills. As he glances knowingly at Gretchen Forge. I mean, but if that's the case, then the cup wouldn't pick them anyway, right? Not necessarily. It could be about their heart. Mm. In the movie... Crouch melts down the stacked hat boxes to reveal a big gold goblet with blue fire coming out of it. That's pretty badass, I gotta say. Yeah. Like, I bet it has a really cool magical name or something. Like, huh? What's that? It, it's just called the Goblet of Fire. Well, that's a fucking letdown. <laughs> Couldn't have been more creative than that. Just the Goblet of Fire. <laughs> Missed opportunity there, guys. Oh my gosh, that's the name of the book. <gasps> Harry Potter and the Missed Opportunity? <laughs> <laughs> I meant Goblet of Fire, but... Oh, okay. That's the, that's the eighth book. <laughs> but he says that if they wish to enter, they must put their name in the goblet before this same time Thursday, and if chosen, there is no turning back. The Triwizard Tournament has officially begun. The camera zooms in on shots of Cedric, Fleur, and Harry, but I doubt that's for any reason in particular, and this is where the movie scene ends anyway, so... As usual, the book chapter goes on a bit further. Dumbledore says that he expects all of them to extend every courtesy to the representatives from Bobatons and Durmstrang when they arrive in October because they aren't there yet. But they're right there. We just talked about it. They just showed up. That's not how it happened in the book. Oh. He also says that he expects them to wholeheartedly support whoever is chosen as the Hogwarts champion. With this last announcement, he sends the students off to bed so they will be rested before their lessons start the next day, and returns to his seat where he begins talking with Mad-Eye Moody. The students all noisily exit the Great Hall, and George says that they'll be 17 in April and they should be allowed to have a shot. Fred says that won't stop him from entering and being able to do the things they normally aren't allowed to do, plus get the prize money. Sure. I mean, I still don't think he quite understands the concept of, like, mortal peril, but sure. He might. He just may not care. <laughs> it's worth it for the gold. But if he dies, he doesn't get the gold either. I feel like there needs to be, like, a, I'm sorry, your son died money. <laughs> <laughs> Ron muses about the Thousand Galleons, and Hermione urges them forward while Fred and George debate how Dumbledore could prevent underage students from entering. Harry wonders who the impartial judge could be, and Ron reminds Fred and George that Dumbledore knows they aren't of age, when Fred suggests a few drops of aging potion could be a way to fool the judge. Fred says that the judge is the one who decides who the best student for the champion is, from the names entered, and Dumbledore's just trying to keep them from entering their names. That was a roundabout way of being like, well, fuck Dumbledore, I'm gonna do it anyway. Right? I do what I want. <laughs> Hermione reminds them that people have died. 
But Fred says that was ages ago. And the risk <laughs> adds to the fun. Before he turns to Ron asking if he wants to enter if they figure out a way around Dumbledore. Nobody dies anymore. We're all immortal. That's so last century. <laughs> Ron says it might be cool, but they probably haven't learned enough. And from behind their group, Neville gloomily agrees that he definitely hasn't learned enough. Poor little Neville. Poor Neville. Oh. He says that his grand would probably want him to, though. And that she is always telling him that he should be upholding the family honor. Because, you know, no pressure or anything. Right? None at all. Poor Neville. Sure. He is interrupted from his next thought when his foot gets caught in one of the trick stairs that he had forgotten to jump. Harry and Ron pulling him up by his armpits while a suit of armor clanks and laughs at him. Yeah, I'd say you should really not. Don't enter, Neville. Don't, not, not a, I mean, don't enter. poor Neville, but don't do it. Yeah, bad call. Bad call. They reach the entrance to the Gryffindor Tower and the portrait of the fat lady who asks for the password as they approach. George says, Balderdash, and the portrait swings aside to let them in the common room, where a crackling fire is blazing. Hermione glares at the flames and Harry hears her mutter slave labor under her breath before she says goodnight and makes her way to her dormitory. She sounds hangry. Probably. <laughs> Harry, Ron, and Neville make their way to their own dormitory where Seamus and Dean had already settled in. Ron shakes his head at the stationary picture of the West Ham football team Dean has up next to his poster of Victor Crumb. The boys change into their pajamas and climb into their beds, which have warming pans underneath, probably put there by the house elves. <laughs> oh no, Hermione's going to be so cold, right? <laughs> the storm continues to beat down outside and Ron sleepily says that if Fred and George find a way to, he might enter the tournament. You never know. And Harry responds, suppose not, before rolling over with images of him tricking the judge and becoming the Hogwarts champion playing in his mind. His arms in the air, the whole school cheering and applauding, Cho's glowing face clearly standing out. And he grins into his pillow, thankful that Ron can't see what he sees. And this is where the book chapter ends. So no illusions of grandeur. No, none at all whatsoever. No. <laughs> Harry hasn't gotten a taste of being the hero and wanting more. Or he has in like the previous three books. Exactly. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> I was agreeing with you. Oh, okay. But this will bring us to our new and returning actors section. And there are a fuckload. This is where everybody gets introduced, pretty much. Oh my lord, there's so many friggin' actors. We are only talking about the ones that were actually speaking. Mm -hmm. So we'll make sure to get to the rest as they have speaking parts. Plus, we'll probably end up expanding upon some of these. Sure. The first one was Devin Murray as Seamus Finnegan. And I love little Devin Murray. He's so cute. I know you do. He's such a little sweetheart. I just want to pinch his cheeks. He also didn't do a ton. He didn't. He is able to differentiate between small and big, though. We discovered that. I mean, that is a fantastic kindergarten level attribute. Well done. I do love how he delivered that line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not a huge fan of the line, but that's no. not, that's obviously not Devin Murray's issue at all. Right. That's obviously not Devin Murray's issue at all. Right. But yeah, I do love the, that's one big woman. <laughs> Oh, my God, Seamus. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty true, too. Yeah. You can't just call you, women. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. That shit's rude. You should not. You also shouldn't be like, oh, my God, you're too skinny. And just don't yeah. do it. Everybody's perfect how they are. Sure. Moving on. <laughs> we also saw Warwick Davis as Phileas Flitwick. I love Warwick Davis. Yet again, we've talked about him before. The only thing is I don't like how angry he gets at the fork. Like, I know he just got stabbed by a fork, but I don't. <sighs> okay, so I don't have an issue with his level of anger because that shit would hurt. Yes. I do, however, have issue with him calling Hagrid an idiot. That's what I mean. Okay, yeah. so I we're get, agreed there. Yeah. yeah, like, I agree he should have been mad. But the fact that he's like, you idiot. Like, that's just. It seems very unflitwit like. Yeah. Because he knows that Hagrid did not do that on purpose. Yeah. Hagrid had just never seen a big woman like that before. Right? So, speaking of... Speaking of big women, we had Frances de la Tour as Madame Olympie Maxime. She's amazing, can we just say. You know what? Not how I was picturing Madame Maxime. Mm-hmm. But after seeing it, I was just like, I'm on board. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I don't want to keep using the big analogy, but she filled the role so well. 
That was one big woman. It was one (laughs) big woman. She had the very, like, sophisticated, Mm -hmm. elegant air about her. Yeah. That almost goes at odds with her size. Yeah. Which is why she was amazing. Yeah. Like, I feel like it would be hard for anyone to pull that off. To be, you know, of that size and to be going... Oh, my horses only drink single malt whiskey. Like she spoke very daintily for her. She did. (laughs) She really did. She pulled it off very well. I also love the fact that she called him Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Professor Dumbledore. Dumbledore. (laughs) Yeah, it was adorable. I'm looking forward to seeing more from her as we go through and talking about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. We also met Prey Drag Bielak as Igor Karkarov, and if I completely butchered his name, I am so sorry. I. Did my best. That was a good try, I have to say. I Probably, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but he was exactly how I pictured Igor. We didn't really get a lot of action from him mm-hmm. at this point. but He stalked into the room. He seemed very foreboding. Very much like a dude who runs an all-boys school in fucking... The North. The North, yes. <laughs> he wasn't supposed to be running an all-boys school, but... In this case, he in was. In this case, he was. <laughs> His presence was really good. Yeah. I don't think we got much more from him at that. So we'll end up talking about him more a little bit later. But Mm -hmm. first impressions, thumbs up. Yeah, definitely. We also saw Brendan Gleeson as Alistair Moody. Or is he? Or Alistair Mad-Eye Moody. Mad-Eye Moody. Or is he? Or is he? (laughs) Dun-dun-dun. Brendan Gleeson is, he's a phenomenal actor. Mm -hmm. He really is. I gotta say... Most of it was, like, the makeup and making him look all scarred up. And, like, he's been through some shit. Yeah. You know? And that came off really, really well on screen. But it was also just his curmudgeonly attitude. He had a hell of a growl in his speak. Mm Mm-hmm. He did. And I think we should talk more about him in his later scene when he's teaching. Because it gives us even more of that. How he is as Mad-Eye Moody in the grand scheme of things. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely has showed much better watching him do the teaching part of it than just watching him walk into a room and aim his wand at something. Yeah. But so far, so good. Yeah. Again, good first impressions. All of the actors in this section really did have more of a, like, cameo. Mm -hmm. More than an actual part to play. It was introduction time. Yeah, so we got to meet a bunch, and we'll see more of them and talk a little bit more of them. I think we'll just end up organically working that into the episode as we're on that scene with them though so we're just going to briefly mention each here and we have one left yeah which is alfred enoch as dean thomas our one line wonder our one word wonder yeah one word poor guy he said or well considering how we talked about that's not a fun word to pronounce so good on him it's a terrible word to have to pronounce right and i'm so mad that that's all they give him i know he had so much potential he had so much potential they're gonna bring in some random kid that's not part of the series and give him lines Mm -hmm. and we're because we're gonna see that kid again but they can't give dean thomas any actual lines of course not why would Mm. they it's ridiculous no no Actually, that goes to every director. We can Pretty run much. through them all with a fist in the air. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, those are our actors. And we love them. I honestly, there aren't really, because the closest I get to not liking an actor is Michael Gambon. And that's not his fault. Remotely, well, it's not entirely his fault. Yeah. I still say he should have read the books. However, I think it was kind of a perfect storm of badness. Yes. Of bad ideas. Yeah. But yes, I agree with you there. But that will bring us to this week's Potter Pondering, which is, what are your thoughts on the lightning striking as Mad-Eye Moody enters the Great Hall? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really look forward to reading them. And now for our Sorting Hat story, which is from Nona Janet. She writes, I'm following you on Spotify now, smiley face emoji. I'm a Hufflepuff. My Patronus is a dolphin, and my wand is Beechwood with a unicorn hair core. I started reading Harry Potter when I was about eight years old. I got the first book for Christmas, and this year, ten years ago, I had a first date with a Slytherin. We went to the movies to watch the last film. Now we're married for almost two years. Aww. Aww. Thanks for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Nona. Congratulations on being married almost two years. That's what my husband and I are coming up on, too. I love the fact that your first date was to see the last film. See, Harry Potter brings people together. (laughs) 
And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might like to share with us. You can also just message us on social media. Mm-hmm. That'll bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, what did they call Mr. Weasley in the Daily Prophet article that Malfoy reads out loud? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag complete non-entity will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like Just Keep Rolling swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 13, Mad-Eye Moody, and the not-at-all corresponding film scenes, because everything that happens there happens, happens later. later. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.